Well, this is Will Work for Podcast, and I am Daniel Thornton. I'm Brendan Boland. And uh, welcome to the show. Uh, glad to have you guys here. You asked me before, what was I doing last week? And something that ref- I reflected on after the after Gabriel's interview, and, and my company is trying to help people with visas and transitions. And then they were like, can, can somebody help? And I raised my hand and said, hey, I'd be more than willing to help with this process and process paper, whatever needs to be done. And my uh, boss supported me in that decision and gave me the flexibility to push some work aside in order to fulfill this very urgent need. And I think it's just a, one of those reflection of company values. Like you should value companies that A, care about the people that work for them and try to do whatever is necessary I think that's a valuable asset for any company that you're going to work for. So make me feel better about working for MSI, really. What do you think? What, what I hear there is definitely this idea of like, how do you prioritize the people that make up the company itself, that do the work? Yeah, I really valued my company and it made me think of a, a lot of the conversations we've had with career coaches and just like hiring managers uh, about values and walking the walk of the, the the values that your company actually has, because anybody can write a a freaking statement on 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 a website. You know, it's when what happens in crunch time that actually matters. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely. I think definitely you can you can tell organizations that really are worker centered and kind of have those inclusive policies. I mean, even the other day I was looking at a a Discord job posting, which I don't know if you you've ever used it. It's a pretty cool chat-based system really, really uh, blew up by gamers. Nah. Cool space, but they're, they're looking for a community moderator to train volunteer moderators on how to like run their little communities, right? To make it a safe and inclusive space. Right. And I was just looking at, you know, they didn't have the salary listed, which is always something that we, we <laughs> encourage here for anyone that's posting a job, please post salaries or a range. Right. And, but the benefits were like really kind of striking to me and I'm not sure why, but it just, it was, you know, 18 paid holidays plus four weeks time off. It was childcare. It was a gym membership. It was, you know, commuter stipend and a few other things. And, and just like there, there was a very holistic package that was being offered to this person who was going to come in and be kind of their figurehead for how to create, you know, safe spaces within this community, which, which their work environment is their servers. Right. Right. So, yeah, I think, I think it's cool when you can see it, whether it's in the actions of the agency or whether it's in the offerings that they do for their labor. Yeah. It becomes clear. Right. Yeah. It was interesting because we also had a, and this is kind of on that same vein, but in a little off topic, but last last week we had a announcement of what's the future of work going to be like at our organization after months of, you know, interviewing people, not in group sessions where people were able to get their input and, you know, kind of taking things down. And they kind of just came up with a very like simple model of we're going to go full remote and we're just going to listen to you and let you guys make your own decisions. And I just thought, yeah, yeah, like you should, you, everybody should just do that. Like listen to your workforce, let them make their own decisions. So what it, wherever you work for, look out for those times when it comes down to really making a decision and like really listening to the employees, like do they do that? 
Like that will tell you a lot about that organization. So we we don't have any more rejection letters, but we have been scouring the internet and I found something that I thought was a little interesting. And this person was talking about their response to getting rejected. So essentially they got that email that's like, hey, we, we chose another candidate. Um, sorry about that. And this is the email that they replied back with. And it said, I'm, I'd like to sincerely thank you for the opportunity to interview and consideration for the graphic design position. I'm sorry to hear that the decision did not go my way, but I appreciate that the decision was a difficult one. I appreciate the care and thoroughness shown to me during my interview. I'm impressed with your company, the way it conducts business, and it was a pleasure meeting the whole team. I sincerely hope that sometime in the future we get an opportunity to work together and kindly ask that you keep me in mind should any position arise in the future. I wish you and your team great success. Thank you again. But for your time and consideration, please kindly pass my gratitude to the rest of the team. Best regards to the person. And a few hours later, they heard back from the company and the person had passed on the position and they were going with them. So the person who sent the email. It's just a lesson to always be courteous, kind, and always be thoughtful in your responses to this because I don't know if he had sent a less eloquent thank you letter if that would have affected him getting the job but it might have you know yeah well i mean he he kept the door open basically right yeah Yeah, exactly that's i think that's the lesson you take away from that and guys we really love to hear from everybody out there you know all the people in the universe you have your stories you have your thank you letters your rejection letters whatever it may be email us at willworkforpodcast at gmail.com that's will work the number four podcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter. We're also on Instagram. We're on all the things. Facebook, let us know. Send us your stories. Brendan's been encouraging me to be a little more positive, which is why I chose this. So there we go. And uh, yeah, on with the show. Great. We're uh, joined here this week by Jerry Fu. Jerry is a conflict resolution coach for Asian American leaders. He started coaching them back in 2017, help out other Asian American professionals deal with challenges they encounter at work, with their families and within themselves. Prior to starting his coaching business, he worked as a pharmacist and facilitating leadership workshops around 2012. So today, Jerry offers a range of coaching services, including individual coaching, group workshops, and keynote presentations. And so, Jerry, thank you for uh, being on with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the questions we'd like to start with is just how did you find yourself into this leadership development space? Basically, what I like to tell people are two main statements. Uh, One is that leadership saved my pharmacy career. And the second is that leadership has been one of my greatest struggles and has now become one of my greatest fascinations. And so uh, knowing what I know now and knowing what I wish I had when I was trying to become a better leader, wanted to turn around and help people in the same space and similar struggles so that they would be able to navigate the challenges uh, better. Well, let's spin that back then, because I, I know part of your story is a bit of tragedy and, and, and hardship. So I would love to hear a little bit about that. So you've been a pharmacist for about 16 years now. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Good memory. <laughs> yeah. It seemed like at one point in time, you were trying to lean into that a lot more and develop that. And, and you had a move to Houston. Could you tell us a little bit about just kind of what what brought you to that space and then what happened and, and how that started this whole process? Certainly. Yeah. So to, to rewind the tape a little further, just to kind of help give the full context, uh, leadership for a while for me 
was something that I found very difficult. And as I struggled with a couple things earlier on in life, I just had this fixed mindset that I just wouldn't be good at it at all. It was just like, okay, you know, I tried to lead, had a couple tough conversations. They didn't go well. Okay. You know, leadership just seems like a big headache and I just rather not deal with it if I'm never going to uh, be effective at it. When you say that, is that because of the, just the, the, the confidence public speaking part? Is it about the, you know, interpersonal communication? Like what about leadership did you find initially difficult? Part of it is just coming from a culture that shames and, you know, you don't want to embarrass the family by looking incompetent at something. And so, uh, you know, if you don't get good at violin after a couple of lessons or after just like, you know what, maybe we're better off just not having him play violin. But of course, every Asian parent would say, no, you just need to practice more. So the irony is that there's a little bit there where they said, no, you can be good at this. But other things, they just say, hey, no, it's not worth your time and effort to learn to be good at something. And so, yeah, basically, it was just kind of like, I don't want to look incompetent. I'm afraid that I would look bad and I don't want to. I don't want people, you know, giving me all this criticism. And so it's like, okay, I'm just better off avoiding it altogether. And so uh, the irony is that even as I got more successful, I still had areas of my life that I would avoid uh, struggling to fail at. And so leadership was one of them, whether it was trying to motivate people or confront people on broken expectations that promises weren't followed through, things like that. I just didn't know how to do that. Or if someone was underperforming, how to really have that tough love conversation. It was just more of like, okay, let me just be passive aggressive. And hopefully they pick up on the fact that I'm being sarcastic with them and then it will stop, which of course is not the healthiest relationship you could ask for. <laughs> and so <laughs> like, okay, let me maybe get a little better at this, but not until that. My early pharmacy career was very much risk averse just because my mom uh, in her well-meaning but ultimately misguided attempts to shade me from or uh, protect me from suffering or, you know, failure or embarrassment. She just said, hey, I just don't want you to struggle with your career. So work for this chain pharmacy for 20 years and bank away money aggressively and just keep your head down. And eventually you'll if you don't have too many financial interruptions, you'll be able to finally, you know, do what you want, like after 20 years of working hard and suffering. And by the way, get married and have kids along the way. Uh, you know, don't forget about that part. <laughs> as fast as possible, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. This is a you know, great Asian immigrant life plan. And so after five years at this chain pharmacy, I uh, had a customer service incident that just kind of broke my back. And I just said, you know, I, I just need to get out of this situation. And so the funny thing is that because I never bothered working long-term on my career. I never bothered with like a residency or a postgraduate degree after my pharmacy degree. So the doors were very limited and um, I wanted to teach, but didn't have these prerequisites. But uh, there's a pharmacy consulting company that a friend of mine worked for here in Houston. And she said, Hey, um, you know, I know you don't have a, like a PhD or a clinical residency, but my previous position is open now that uh, I got promoted and I know you want to teach. And here's kind of like a side door in. Uh, would you be interested in applying for this job? And I said, absolutely. So, you know, I interviewed, aced the interview, convinced them to take a chance on me. And next thing I know, I'm moving from Tennessee down to Texas. I took a huge pay cut because uh, I had a full-time job with benefits. And now I'm going to a part-time position that I have to earn my way up. And so I thought, hey, this is terrifying, but I'm excited. And um, hopefully this will be the last company I ever have to work for. And 11 months later, I got fired. <laughs> so... It took a while for me to appreciate, but it really was the wake up call I needed to realize, hey, you know, I was blaming a lot of 
things on of, of my own setbacks on external circumstances instead of taking ownership for my decisions in them. But the flip side to that is I was beating myself up needlessly for making these mistakes. And so here, you know, I had this wake up call and I said, oh my goodness, I, you know, life doesn't stop. Rent doesn't stop just because you had a bad day. Right. And so now it's like, okay, I have to pay my bills. Uh, I need to find another job because I can't, the sting hurt. Like, you know, I had friends asking me all these questions. Hey, what happened? You know, like we thought this would be great for you. And, you know, I just at the time didn't want to look at the wreck and, you know, study the footage and, you know, things like that. So I ended up at an independent pharmacy startup where four of my paychecks bounced as I was filling for crooked doctors. And my boss is like, well, you know, I can't pay you unless you move these, you know, dirty scripts. And it's like, well, um, all right. <laughs> you know? And I had a very misguided view of grace at the time where I said, well, if he's not, you know, holding his, his end of the bargain, let me still hold mine. And everyone else is like, Jerry, if he's not paying you leave, <laughs> you know, yeah, but it's the classic Asian don't jump off the horse until you have another horse to jump onto. But I, I but you know, in this case, I couldn't keep jeopardizing my license. And so thankfully after nine months of that, some friends got me out of that job and got me on with another company that was more legit. But that company was also struggling. They said, hey, we like you, but we can't pay you more than eight hours a week. And I said, okay, so I have to choose between rent or groceries this month, I see. <laughs> and so uh, they said, well, you can get more hours if you work for us out at our Austin location, which is about two and a half hour drive from Houston. And I said, okay, beggars can't be choosers. I got to go. I got to go do this. And so I had no idea what my life was going to look like because, you know, I would I imagine myself in Houston. I finally was able to call Houston home. And all of a sudden, I'm moving to another city, and everyone says, you could end up in worse cities. I said, doesn't matter. It still feels, it's still not home, right? And so this summer, this is 2012 now, I got an email from some friends who run a pharmacy nonprofit, and uh, I know them through our fraternity. And uh, they said, hey, one of our facilitators backed out for our national meeting. We know you've been facilitating material on the fraternity side. Would you be interested in stepping in to facilitate you know, the leadership material at this national meeting? And I said, absolutely. And so up until then, right, I was like, oh, leadership hard. I don't, I, I struggle with it. I got fired again, right? Or like, you know, I got fired even as I was trying to be a better leader. And now after teaching leadership and then seeing it modeled for me and seeing the partner that was with me just bring out the best in me and, and empower me to do more. And I said, what if I could be a good leader? I'm studying Michael Negretti, you know, the pharmacist who, who brought out the best in me. And it's like, you know, what made him so effective in terms of leadership? And he's fun to work with. He's fun to be around. He's fun to learn from. He's constantly working. He's always tinkering. He's always collaborating with me. And he doesn't want anything from me. He's just here to give. And so I said, you know what? I need to internalize these characteristics for myself if I'm going to be better at leadership. I've heard this uh, concept before, and I was just thinking, you know, when you work for a company, it's really hard if you work for the CEO or a boss or like leadership people for them to say, you need to care about this as much as I care about this. How do you overcome that, that leap or that barrier or something like that? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, so a lot of the material kind of to touch on what we you were asking about earlier is just what kind of resources that we have. Uh, there's a, there's some great books uh, by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans uh, talking about designing your life and designing your work life. And um, the goal with their books, especially the second one, designing your work life, is just to say, hey, if what I'm doing is good enough for right now, like how can I make the most of my situation, right? Like where can I find purpose in what I'm doing now? And that's not something that you're going to get in a culture that likes to tell things, right? If I 
told you, hey, you have to care about this and this is why I'm important, you know, and I might be right and you might agree with me. But in, at the end of the day, if there's still some degree of resentment in your heart or mind about the fact that you're like, well, he's right, but I still don't like I still don't like what he has to tell me, you know, that's going to be incongruous. Right. Uh, but if you say, hey, you know what, what if I could be faithful to the people around me and my teammates? What if I could do something better and, you know, leave things better when I found it so that if I do leave and I do, if I do plan to leave because I do want to find something that's more purposeful for me, what can I do now that would help me transition out of that better? Being able to answer that question for yourself and having that introspection really would, I think, be a resourceful and, and useful reframe. Well, so take us through your own process of that, because it sounds like there were a number of years there where, whether it's desperation or whether it was this sense of like needing to have a, a job placement, it seems like you you kind of had placed yourself in three or four locations that just did, weren't right for you, right? And that were problematic. And I'm, I'm curious, like, what maybe is the difference between where you are now and what you're, you know, the places that you're finding yourself versus how you kind of kept finding this, the, the wrong spots for a couple of years, you know? Uh, part of it was just to say, hey, if this is what I need to do now, I need to do it uh, to kind of finish up my my own journey or at least get to the present. You know, I, I knew I wanted to just do the best for my boss that I could. Like that was something I had to commit to is just to be faithful with what I currently had. And so thankfully, with that job at the time, I had the option to either stay part time in Austin or come back full time in Houston after a manager position opened up. And I said, I can't stay scared. I need to take on this challenge and I'm ready to come home. And so I, all I knew at the time, my purpose was simply to have a more stable job with, you know, good hours and a high quality of life. And so at the time, these companies, you know, that's what they were giving me. The work itself was up or down, depending on the quality of my teammates and other people, you know, that I either got along with or didn't. But as long as I had that time off to myself on like, you know, nights and weekends, I was, I was actually okay. And so what I tell people is that even as leadership gave me more options in pharmacy, it felt like I was just hopping from iceberg to iceberg and that the iceberg would melt after about one or two years because the business model just wouldn't survive. And so after my previous company went under, I realized I needed to evaluate things because I was tired of chasing doctors for scripts. I was tired of insurance companies dictating you know, how much I was worth. And I said, well, if I'm tired of this iceberg hopping, what would I do in order to change my trajectory? And I said, well, I love teaching these leadership workshops. I love pouring into people and developing people, what would a career in coaching or facilitating look like? You know, still had that fear of failure, still wanted to just learn more and see if people would, you know, give me a chance and charge a little money. And it wasn't until COVID hit where, you know, after I'd gone through a certification pro uh, program to become a certified coach in leadership and earn some credibility that way, where I said, okay, COVID is here. I can't keep procrastinating because now I have all the time that I need to really study how to build a business and get it launched. Between that and turning 40, you said, okay, how much longer can I really? So I'm really interested in your coaching model because I know that you're, when I was reading through your website, you focus on Asian American, the Asian American population, and you were talking a little bit before about the cultural norms that led to some of your downfall in the, in previous uh, iterations of work. And so how do you address that when you are coaching? Like what, what lens do you use to help those who are Asian American in your coaching style? Yeah. The first is, is curiosity. That word keeps coming up a lot. Curiosity and courage actually, I think go hand in hand. You don't have to drum up anything extra to get curiosity. You just have to say, Hey, what if I saw this a different way? And so first you have to ask yourself, well, 
you know, what exactly is bothering me about this situation with conflict? Is it, oh, I have a lot of fear. It's like, well, what is that fear about? Oh, fear of failure. I'm afraid that if I have this conversation, it won't go the way I want it to. So maybe I'm better off just not having it. And then you have to get curious about that. And you say, well, you know, if you're not willing to have this conversation, what is the cost of that? Right. Get curious about, hey, well, what are the consequences of inaction? Uh, because for the longest time, people just think, oh, let me just distance myself. And as long as I give myself enough distance, I'll be OK. Uh, but if you keep running right at some point, you're going to run out of places to run to and hide. And so, you know, what's better? keeping on the road and running away from jobs and people just because you've upset them or actually finding a way to uh, tactfully express yourself in a way that might actually restore the relationship to something that you might uh, resume enjoying. So growing up as a kid, my friends always told me I had a tiger mom. Oh, yeah. Hearing your story, I feel like that that can resonate with you as well. But, <laughs> you know, I, when thinking about kind of the populations you work with and even just your own challenges with leadership, like I am curious, like how did you go about stepping out of maybe your comfort zone and really being willing to engage in these direct lines of conflict, you know, whether that they're, whether they're the large ones or even the small, but like, all, like that's, that's kind of a core aspect of leadership, I think, and kind of what you do. So what, you know, take us a little bit into that, that process. Well, sometimes it's just baptism by fire, right? <laughs> it's just like, nope, this is just, I have to deal with this fire because it's too big. And if I don't put it out now, I'm definitely going to hear from my supervisors. And the situation I'll, I'll share, you know, in that moment was uh, at one point I had to supervise a pharmacist who had dispensed the wrong medication to the wrong patient. Like basically they mistyped the prescription, you know, I did the best I could and it was, I'll admit, it was terrible. As much as I hate to simply twist people's arms into compliance, that was the kind of approach that I took. Uh, I learned from that, obviously. Now it's more of let's ask questions. Don't use force, use finesse, right? And ask more questions. And so anytime you have an opportunity to practice these things, and there's no shortage in leadership, you just say, okay, well, or even if you ask friends, just say, hey, you know what? There's something I'd like to discuss with you, or can you help me? I need some role play, you know, help me uh, navigate the situation. To be able to get over yourself and realize, hey, you know what? The only way to get better is if I get repetitions in, the better we all are. Because you don't have to worry about looking incompetent. You recognize, hey, you're, you're with friends. Uh, they'll give you helpful feedback and there's no stakes to the situation. So some ideas that come to mind. Yeah. And thinking about that, like what are some of the more powerful questions that you can frame or use as a leader? One of my favorites comes from The Coaching Habit by Michael Bungie Stanier. And uh, anytime someone comes to you with a situation and you say, well, what's the real challenge here for you? Because now you're getting past the superficial, right? And you're getting into, okay, what is the heart of the matter here? But it's not what I think, it's what they reveal to me. So that's, that's one of my fun questions to, to adopt and regularly. Because uh, you, you can't assume that you know better than they do if they're the experts on their situation. So that's one of them. A second one we like is, um, what's the next action? Say, hey, you know, you know this situation is really ugly. And this sucks and, you know, we have a lot to clean up. But what is the next action that you need to take in this situation? So, like, instead of going into the emotional, it's more about, like, you know, what are the actual steps that we're going to do following up on this event? Yeah. I mean, and that's not to discount emotions at all. Like, you know, if you need to question, hey, how does this make you feel and why? Uh, that's a perfectly valid question to ask because you need to, even as feelings, you know, people need to take them in context, you still have to consider them and see what kind of story and whatever additional useful information they reveal to you. Another fun question is, you know, what was your biggest takeaway from this conversation? Uh, more of a reflection 
just to see, hey, what is the biggest thing? What's the most valuable thing for them uh, that we talked about? And hey, get curious. Hey, elaborate on that. Um, you know, that wasn't an answer I was expecting, but you sound, you know, I'm sensing that you seem, uh, you feel very strongly about this is very passionate for you. So yeah, uh, please tell me more. So yeah, those are some of the main questions that I like. Yeah, I love that reflection question at the end. I, my, my favorite coach that I've ever worked with, like ended every meeting with that of kind of like what what resonated today and like what what would you have wished we had talked about? And that was kind of an interesting way to conclude that coaching meeting because then I, it gave me that space to think about it. But like, oh, right, I can use this and do this. And actually, like I needed this next time we could talk about it. So I appreciate that. Yeah. What aspect of this work have we not touched on today that you think is really important for people to know? Oh, man. Great question. You can highlight the dancing because I was going to ask that regardless. So what's with the dancing's there? Yeah, we'll get there. I'll, uh, so to answer that question quick, I think it's just to really embrace just the fact that, hey, embrace growth, embrace the potential that you can explore. Understand that failure is not fatal, nor is it final. And the sooner you just start to try new stuff, the better we all will be because like now you're enjoying yourself more because you're starting to open up your perspective and things like that, you know, and if you don't want these coaching packages kind of last point, then we'll get to the dancing. Um, you know, I'm happy to share the books that I've read. Where, where, where do they start? Oh man. Like if you're, if you're at a career pivot, yeah, start with the designing your life and designing your work life books by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans. They do a great job incorporating a lot of the personal development leaders, uh, uh, literature like Angela Duckworth's Grit, and you know, and then there's fun stuff like David Allen's Getting Things Done. Uh, the Heath Brothers also have a great series uh, on compelling examples on making decisions and creating powerful moments for yourself. So tell them to just get in touch with me on my website, and I'll be happy to point them in that direction. Uh, but yeah, so the dancing is a fun parallel track to my development as a leader because I went through a lot of the same problems in terms of fixed mindset. Basically, my exposure to salsa dancing started in uh, college. At one point, we had a formal our freshman year that was centered around it. And the lesson they taught us guys was terrible. Like, it was just like, this is boring and frustrating. And like, even worse, is just the fact that they didn't teach us anything useful. Like, that's what made it <laughs> more frustrating. Like, you, I just, again, right, oh, oh, that's hard. I just could never deal with it. And then when I got to pharmacy school, one of my friends said, hey, you know, my other friend is starting the scene up in Memphis. You got to give another chance. And so by my third year or so, I was pretty sick of studying. And so, well, you know, my grade, my GPA is pretty much solidified by now. So me spending a little extra time going out dancing isn't going to really change it that much. So let me go invest in some lessons and see what happens. And, you know, after enough time, I was like, you know what? I'm starting to enjoy this. I'm starting to get pretty good at this. And then when I graduated, I moved to a city that didn't have salsa dancing and, you know, I'm living at home and I'm not dancing and I'm like, oh my gosh, I miss this so much. But then I went through a really unproductive cycle of, you know, rust and lack of confidence and then frustration. And then I'd go to, you know, I'd find a convention to go to and then I'd miss it and I want to get better at it. And then, but I, you know, then, so you get glimmers and then you go back down to, oh, rust, frustration and lack of confidence. And so this lasted, you know, five years or the time that I was still living in Tennessee after I graduated. But then I came to Houston. But all my friends that initially made here the second time around, because I went, I was here for college. And uh, the second time around, all the friends I initially made all were into two-stepping. So even though it was dancing, it still wasn't salsa. And um, it wasn't until about seven years ago, a Venezuelan friend had invited me out to a free downtown event uh, where they had dancing. 
you know, I saw this girl, I saw how great she was a dancer. She was so pretty. And I just said, okay, I got to dance with her. And you talk, they talk about she sent me highs flow, right? You're just like, okay, I'm in this moment. I need to bring my A game. And so you're just completely locked in. And I lasted the whole song. You know, I didn't run out of movies. My mind didn't freeze up. And, you know, she gave me a hug afterward. And I just said, why did I stay away from this for so long? Just because I was afraid of looking rusty. And then I just said, okay, I'm going to commit to this. I'm back. And uh, it took a while on another, you know, uh, part of another part of my journey is just getting burnt out of volunteerism. And, you know, when I replaced all that with salsa dancing, I became a lot happier. But now dancing has just been such a great platform because uh, not only am I a volunteer instructor with a local salsa dancing club through my alma mater, um, it's also me and some friends teach lessons for charity to raise money and awareness for organizations that we care about or are legit, you know, legit causes. And so everybody wins, right? You know, we just say, Hey, book a venue. We'll come in, we'll teach, give us just a small honorarium. You get to keep 90% of it. And, you know, so everybody wins, you get a quality dance lesson, you get, you know, publicity for something worthwhile. And then we just get to do what we love and even get, get paid a little for it. So, yeah, it's, it's what I tell people now, you know, it's kind of like with a leader. It's like, I don't want people to just say, hey, Jerry's a good leader. Jerry's a good dancer. It's like Jerry helped me become a better leader. Jerry helped me become a better dancer, right? That's part of living the legacy that we want to leave. So, yeah. Yeah, getting to be fully embodied in all these pursuits. That's awesome. Uh, well, Jerry, we always like to end with you being able to tell people where they can find you. So if they're interested in either these smooth dance moves or or these leadership skills, where can they find your work? Yeah, whether you want to lead on or off the dance floor, uh, check out my website, www.adaptingleaders.com. And yeah, just book a free 30-minute call, whether you want to just talk about whatever's on your mind or you got a specific conversation you, you're trying to you know prepare for or you just want to share life stories and see how we can stay in touch and support each other you know happy to happy to get to know you guys a little better so yeah adaptingleaders.com sweetness thank you yeah thank you i guess my big takeaway from him and it's interesting because it was like one of the very first things he says is like having having your failures not define you and actually learning from them. And I think he did a really good job of like understand helping us understand his story and how he's built from that and taken really very specific lessons from that and built his career into more being more prosperous. So going back to like the mindset and the traps that exist. Right. And I think so many of us at the beginning of our careers or just in our youth where, you know, you kind of just get thrown into the professional world and you're like, great. Even the idea of like how to, how to like give yourself that time and, and do the reflective work. And the fact that he used the, the, the pandemic as, as an opportunity. I think that's what we're also hearing from so many people this season is just like, I had space, I had time. And I realized that like, this is the moment to try something new. So I think that's cool too, you know? Yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll work for podcast at gmail.com. That's the way you can find us. Um, we're, we're on anchor now and, uh, you know, we'll keep on working for you. And until next week, uh, keep on keeping on. Mm-hmm.